Moms, we love you. And um, we're in Luke, guys. We're in Luke. We're making our way through Luke. Um, today's sermon is not, I mean, it is a sermon, but it's not as much a sermon as it is. As best as I can do, we're going to have a conversation. And I'm going to try to throw in all of the things that you're thinking or the questions that you might have and try to answer those questions as we work this out. So this is going to be a, we are working out this passage together, and hopefully by together that means you will either ask a question or I will talk you through what you're already thinking. And so it may go here, 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 and it may, but we're going we're gonna to understand this passage better when we're done than we did. So I'm going to start with the very last verse of the very last passage that we ended with because that's going to be, um, that's going to be important, all right? And, and, and the verse right before this, um, simply says this, be merciful, be merciful as the Lord your God is merciful, okay? So when your grandmother says, have mercy, that's the umbrella under which we're going to do all of this today. It starts with mercy. And if you don't, if you understand mercy, but you don't know how to define mercy, let's think about it like this. Grace is when you get something that you do not deserve. Grace is, I don't deserve it, but I'm getting it anyway. Mercy is when you do not get something that you do deserve. Mercy is you deserve death, but you, get, you don't get death. You get, you get life. Grace is heaven when you don't deserve it, okay? When you get something that you don't deserve or when you don't get something that you do deserve. So we're covering ourselves, we're covering each other with grace and mercy this morning. Because we're heading into a passage that everyone loves and everyone loves to hate and we just run away from unless we need to quote it to protect ourselves. Okay? Here we go. Do not judge! And you will not be judged. Do not condemn! And you will not be condemned. Forgive! And you will be forgiven. Give! And it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And then he told this parable. Translation. And then he wanted to explain himself in a way that we all can understand. The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like the teacher. The, the student never rises above the teacher. The teacher, if she or he is able to impart all of the knowledge into the student, then she can say, now the student knows what I know. Correct? Why do you look at the... Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. All right? We're going to move on to the next one at a later time. But no tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. All right, so what we have here is um, a passage that, like I say, we all love to hate or we love to love when it's convenient for us. Hey, man, I'd like to talk to you about your relationship. Don't you judge me, plank eye. Pull that tree out your socket before you come at me. Right? Anybody? Bueller? Bueller? Come on. Let's preach. 
I am. Thank you. All right. Listen, 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 listen. So a lot of questions then come up. Judge? Don't judge. Judge me? Don't judge me. Can we know? How do we know? Well, let's have a look-see from one of the greatest teachers uh, of all time outside of Jesus. This is Paul, who's not going to help us any. I'm just going to tell you up front. Look at this. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Or therefore, do not judge until it is time. Wait for the Lord, right? So don't judge. Wait on God. One chapter later. One chapter later, that's 1 Corinthians 4, this is 1 Corinthians 5, same guy talking. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? So the question basically leans us to say, hey, don't worry about the people outside the church, but isn't it your job to judge the ones inside? So wait, don't judge, do judge. Wait, don't judge outside, then judge inside. Who's supposed to be the judge here? Isn't God the judge? Okay. In order for us to understand how this is all going to play out, we need to get some definitions here. Now, every one of you knows when I say the word judge. When I say judge or judgmental, here is the definition that is in your head, all right? A person who likes to condemn me for what I'm doing without looking at themselves. If somebody judges you, that is exactly what you were thinking. You were thinking, hey, 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 don't condemn me for my flaws when you're flawed too, all right? But I need you to look at the definition of judge. Now, not noun. Definition of judge noun is guy who sits on bench with robe, okay? All right? Or Old Testament leader, judges, right? But we're looking at the verb, judge. So let's have a look-see. According to Merriam-Webster, all right? Didn't get this from anywhere other than straight from a dictionary, all right? To judge. To judge. I can't say that without thinking of a knight's tale. To trudge. The long, y'all know what I'm talking about? Trudge, trudging. Anyway, to judge. All right. To form an opinion through careful weighing of evidence and testing of premises. Huh. To form an opinion based on fact and evidence. Huh. To form an estimate or an evaluation of. Gather and then respond with a valuation to determine or pronounce after inquiry or deliberation. So when we think judge in this case, it must be understood as a weighed and measured response that garnered a proclamation or a calling out of, right? It's a valuation based on wisdom and discernment of fact. Not, not, not a bad thing by, by definition. So let's, let's have a look, see, at, at, at another one. How about, well, I don't mean judge. I mean someone who's judgmental. Okay, judgmental. Characterized by a tendency to judge harshly or inclined to make judgments often, <laughs> mostly moral or personal ones. So a judgmental person is one who judges but chooses to judge in moral and personal ways characterized by the harshness of their judging, all right? So we don't want to be judgmental. However, we must learn to understand what it is to judge 
and be judged, by what standard we can judge or be judged, and whom we are to judge or be judged by. In order to do this, all right, we need to understand a, 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 a principle, all right? I've, I've gone over it before, but we're going to do it again because we need to understand the principle that is in Luke chapter 7, verse 47, which we will be getting to in about three months. And that is this, okay? Of whom much has been forgiven, much forgiveness can be received. But those who have been forgiven little, forgive little. Now, none of us want there to be a measurement on love. Do you? How many of you want there to be a measurement on love? It stops at a certain point. No. How many of you want there to be a measurement on forgiveness? You, you, can, you, you get so much forgiveness and then it stops. We don't, we don't need or want any more forgiveness. Anybody? Bueller? No? Yes? No? 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 Mercy? Anybody want a, 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 a cap limit on, on mercy? Okay. Then we don't want the Lord's Prayer to say, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who, who debt us. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Nobody wants that to mean what it means. Dear God, I pray that thou forgivest me just like I forgiveth everyone else. Anybody? But that's what you're saying. Well, Craig, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't. Forgive us as we... How about while? Forgive us while we forgive others. During the time which I forgive, forgive me. You don't want that either. Like... A simile, like or as. As can be like, so forgive me like I forgive everyone else. Whatever measure I use, I, oh, I don't like any of this. Well, how about this whole thing we read at the beginning? Do not condemn or you will be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Is this thing weighed and measured? Yes. But here's where we fail as believers. Are you ready for this? Here is where we fail as believers. You act as if it is God who runs out of. It is God who limits, and it is God who stops the flow. So God is going to judge me based on how I judged others, and He will stop based on... No! Because God is limitless, and God is boundless, and God cannot be limited by time, by space, by any valuation. He is yesterday, today, and forever. He is Alpha Omega, beginning and end, east to west, no poles, no bounds then can His love, can His mercy, can His grace end? It cannot. So what happens? And we go back to the cup. Remember the cup. If you take a cup and hold the cup under Niagara Falls, the cup will always be full, right? And there will be way more forgiveness that you can fathom. But here's what most of us do. We hold the cup and we apply the hand. And now the grace and mercy and justice of God floweth, as King James would say, but we receiveth not. So how does this work? Because you do, if you can't offer forgiveness, you can't understand. If you can't be given mercy, you don't know how to give mercy. The problem is not with the flow of the falls. The problem is with the understanding of the receiver. And as we grow, here's what happens. 
We don't go, okay. We don't do that. None of us do. We go, meep, 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 meep. Until we meet somebody, we don't want to forgive. Weep. You understand what's going on here? When you close off the pipeline, it doesn't go either way. It doesn't mean that God is not spitting it out. It means you've kinked the lines. It cannot flow back into the house. You, you know a garden hose? I don't like her, therefore I won't forgive her. Here's the problem. It can't go either way, and it's not God's fault. So this is about us, not about him. As long as we're, we're clear on that. And yes, by the measure, you will be measured, but it's all about you how much you receive, how much you open up, how much you flow out. Remember, it should be like this. God flowing into you, you flowing out to others. And remember, as it flows out, your cup will continue to be full by God and you will continue to flow out. And we act like, well, if I let it all out, my cup's going to be empty. But God says, no, I am a never-ending stream. We just can't fathom that because we're not him. And we've got to start having faith that that is the case. This is what this means. The scales do tilt, but not because of God, because of us. Y'all with me so far? Then we need to go here. Most of us, most of us, when we feel judged or when we feel um, called out, okay, it has to do with somebody pointing out our sins. For whatever reason, we don't want to be pointed out. We're ashamed. We don't think it's their business. We don't think, you know, we can name a million reasons why that person shouldn't be. And most of the time, the comeback is, let me point at you. But you know what mom always says, it's Mother's Day. When you're pointing one finger that way, you got three fingers pointing back at you. All right? So, so we need to go to the biblical understanding of what we would call being called out. Okay, And once we dissect this thing, we will understand intentional, wise, measured judgment and why. Okay? All right. If your brother or sister sins. Now, in the Greek, before we get to go, it actually says this. Okay? In the original text, here's what it says. If your brother sins, it doesn't have sister in there, but it means the brethren, so all people, all right? Like, like, like Nugget, when, when Nugget leaves daycare or when she leaves home and there's visitors there, she always says, Babuiz. That's her, that's her response. When she walks out of the nursery, Babuiz, because all children are buoys, all right? She, a group of kids is a buoys, all right? Group of geese is a gaggle, group of kids is a buoys, okay? So in the same way, brethren, the brothers, is all of the believers, okay? So, if your brother sins, comma, and it might be against you. That's the way it's translated, all right? So here's what that means. Your brother has made some kind of step away from God's plan. That's sin, right? Missing the mark. So your brother has made some kind of step in God's plan, and that sin might be something that affects, hurts, pierces you right? But it doesn't necessarily mean it always 
is you. The focus is on times when it affects you, but it doesn't mean always. Sometimes it will just be about the sin of your brother. Sometimes it will be about how they've sinned against you. But it is, according to the Greek, both. Go and point out their fault. Now this is where we go, nope. Nope. I'm a believer in Jesus, except for this part. I want the love part. I'll take the communion part. I'll take the God loves kids part. But to point out my fault part, put a little black line through that. Somebody get a Sharpie. Not subscribing to this particular verse. Right? That's what you mean. I, we got one honest guy in the crowd over here. Mark Gabbard's like, yep, got it, me. Really, church, that's what you want, right? You really want this whole thing to come around and that part not to be there. I don't need Craig, I don't need Frida, I don't need Steve, I don't need Britt, I don't need Nicole, I don't need anybody telling me what I did wrong. Except that you all call yourselves Christians, you say you believe in the Bible, and here it is. And it's actually Jesus who's saying it. Not Paul, not Peter, not Mark, not Luke. Words of Jesus, red letters. Hey, peeps, I need to explain something to you. Now, here's the thing. If you don't understand to whom he's explaining, it's not going to mean as much. He has called the local folks, Capernaum, Jerusalem, all right, right off the coast of Galilee. The Jewish people are following him and coming together, and they're beginning to come from afar, but you are in the Jewish community. And this is what's important. There are two things that you need to know. Thing number one, in the Jewish community, they all were dependent on one another. The village mentality wasn't just about, oh, let's throw our arms around each other and snuggle. It wasn't about that at all. In order for you to live and work and breathe, you needed your brother. And I've told you this before, all right? You, you, you got the tomato man, and he provides the tomatoes. You got the onion man, and he provides the onions. You got cilantro sister, and she provides the cilantro. You got the, the salt and pepper guy, and he provides that. You got the garlic guy, and he provides that. And if somebody doesn't chime in, your salsa's not right. All right? And then nothing matters unless the chip guy provides the chips. You don't want, uh, you know, corn ears to dip in your salsa. You need tortilla chips, so we need the tortilla guy. This is why it baffled everybody in the Bible when the guy said, let's build bigger barns. I'll just keep all my stuff and make my barns bigger. And everybody went, why? Why? That's a whole lot of tomatoes, and after a week, they're going to be stanky. Let's make salsa. Let's make ketchup. Ooh, ketchup. We need a fry guy. All right? That's how their lives worked. Everybody did everything, their part, and then everybody had everything, right? And sometimes you had a surplus of things. You know what we did? We did all the things. We called Grandma, and they canned the tomatoes, so we had them all year long. Woo! I called out Dee Dee and, and Leela because they gave me some canned tomato juice, and I'm about to bust open the last bottle of that, but it's summertime, and so there's going to be more maters, which means maybe more juice, Right? This is how the community works. Here's what I'm trying to say. When they got married, they didn't just put a house somewhere on some land. They built their house right next to their parents. And when I say next to, I mean connected to. They had a wall here, so they didn't have to build four walls. They only built three. Chick, 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 and there's their house. And then Joe's cousin, chick, 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 chick. And then Monty's friend, chick, 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 chick. And their community was literally connected. That's how they lived their life. Okay, so when Jesus says, 
when Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, he believes that you believe that you're in a community together, dependent upon one another for your spiritual, emotional, physical, verbal survival. That's important. He assumes that you're in what we would call a symbiotic relationship, spiritually and emotionally. This takes out half the problem, people. Think about it. The people in the village now have ownership of one another's survival. And if your brother sins, and we're talking about spiritual now, what happens when you sin? You miss the mark. What happens if you continue to sin and that sin is never absolved? The wages of sin is death. So your tomato guy, your daughter, your salsa guy, your son, your corn guy, the people in your community are heading for what? Death. And if they die, there is something missing. Not just that, but you will miss them. So there is this inherent burden that everyone not only survives, but survives and thrives. So the calling out of a sin is like immediately seeing one cell of cancer, lasering it out, pulling it away so that the body will not die. Now you can survive. Not just as individuals, but as families. Not just as families, but as communities. So the premise of all this is love. If you love somebody enough to make sure their life is better, cleaner, clearer, and not headed for hell, then you're beginning and ending correctly. Because the end of this is love as well. Now, the minute you go to someone else and say, hey, did you hear what Nicole did? And then that person says, oh, I know she's the brother, sister of the pastor, but um, I got to tell you something. You know why gossip's right in between slander and murder in the Bible, don't you? Just saying. Go to them. I know, Craig, but it says point out their fault. Yeah, Jesus said it, Craig didn't. Go point out their fault. Why? Love! Love! And then if they listen, you've won them over. You've, you've, you've got the bad cell out. They are going to be fine. But if they do not, take one or two others along. Now, don't go get your best friend and don't go get somebody who's your political cohort and say, let's go get her. Come on, lock arms. We're going to break it down. We're going to thrust it out of her. We're going to, ah, no. You're in the village. Find somebody that you and that person in the village trust to do exactly what's going on. Judge discerningly. Weigh the pieces and give a proper response. Take two or three if you need to. You know, this one doesn't work good. Let's get this one. And what's the object? To save, to help, to, 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 to bring this person back. Guys, do you know what this is? This is the servants. 
and then this is the mother, and then this is the father, and this is the older brother of the prodigal son standing out on the front porch, turning up the loudspeakers, grabbing microphones, and saying, come home, come home, come home, and trying to keep him out of the pigsty and hoping he can hear them. so that every matter will be established by the testimony of two or more. Hey, if I'm wrong, no problem. I'm happy to be wrong if it was about saving your life, if it was about saving your marriage, if it was about saving your heart. I'm happy to be wrong. Let's, let's get somebody else to look at this with fresh eyes. But if they still don't listen, tell it to the church. Oh, listen, nobody wants to get here. Nobody wants to get here. The church doesn't want to get here. The individual doesn't want to get here. The two or three doesn't want to get here. Nobody wants to get here. But here's the thing. We see this as being thrown down. We see this as being dragged to Walmart and thrown down in front of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But do you remember what happened when someone was thrown down in front of the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the temple courts? God said, who are you? See, here's where we screw this up really bad. We screw up the beginning because we're afraid to go to the brother. We screw up the middle because we need people who are on our team. We screw up the end because we don't understand how Jesus means treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Because the pagans and the tax collectors were the outcasts and the way society ran, you shunned them. But I don't remember that Jesus. What did Jesus do to the, I want to say a different word, a prostitute who came to draw some water? What did Jesus do to her? What did Jesus do to the adulteress thrown down in the temple courts? What did Jesus do to the little man who climbed the sycamore fig tree? Treat them as you would, yes. Treat them as I've taught you. You don't have to let them lead. You don't have to let them serve. You don't have to give them authority. They've taken it themselves by not living as Jesus called them to live. But you have to love. You have to reach. You have to run after them not to chase them down and prove that they are more important than anyone else, but because that's what Jesus began and has never stopped doing, chasing down his children, no matter how far they decide to run. And I want to be like Jesus. I fail. I mess up. But I want to be like Jesus. All right, Craig, so far, makes sense. The village is, 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 is this. And, and, and we want to save the village by, by saving each individual, by, by weeding out the cancer of sin in our lives so that we can get better. But how do we do that? Well, the first thing you do is you start with love. The second thing you do is you take the plank out of your own eye before you go. Let me give you an example. If you've got pictures on the phone you don't want me to see, don't talk to anybody else about the pictures on theirs. Jordan Peterson says, get your own house in order before you start talking about anybody else's house. Now, that doesn't give those of you who are sending an excuse. Oh, what about your house? Oh, stop. Nobody's bullying anybody if it's done in love. Just stop. But 
You don't get to be sleeping around with your girlfriend's boyfriend while you're married and then going to somebody else about adultery. You don't get to do it. Clean your own house first. And then, and then work on somebody else's house. All right? But I promise you if my house is clean and I'm coming to you, I expect you to pick up a broom. I'll bring one with me, and we'll both do it. There's the difference. Okay? There's the difference. We want you whole. We want you healthy. We want you happy. Why? Because love is the goal. It is the beginning and the end. Why? Because God is love. Now, finally, what about them? What am I talking about? Outside these walls. Listen to me. Someone who doesn't claim to know Jesus has never been made new. Right? God has not transformed them by the renewing of their mind. They're not made new. The standard by which they are judged is not the same as us because Christ in us is the hope of glory, and they don't know it yet, but they are hopeless. Why would you beat down the hopeless? Your job, shine the light in their darkness. Let the light reveal. Let them deal. Let Jesus clean house. Bring them into the flock. See how he fixes them. And then begin to chisel away with love at the rest. So that the body is bigger, brighter, more beautiful. And all about the love of Jesus. And as that flows, so will he. If he be lifted up, he will draw men into himself. And it will happen. Work inside the house. Share love outside the house. And as transformation begins, then our job of discipleship begins. And if you don't like the fact that discipleship involves calling out sin, chemo and radiation for your spirit, this is not the place for you. And I'm good with that. Because I will not spend years, days, weeks, months chasing, loving, trying to chase you down and have you not care a lick about being better, being his. It's a waste of my time and yours. I love you. If you want to be home, you are welcome here. But if you think you're all right the way you are, find another place. Because he's still working on all of us. And it is a painful process. Max Lucado calls it being on the anvil. And that hammer is going to beat, and it is not going to feel good. But you will be a tool sharpened and ready for his use when he is finished. I love you. God bless you. Let's pray. God, we live in a world where facts are jaded. We live in a world where news stories are twisted. We live in a world where truth seems relative. But one thing that we can be certain of is that nobody's ever proven your word wrong, ever. And so on Christ, the solid rock, I stand, and on his word, I build my home, my life, my family, and my church. And we do it knowing that a house built on the rock will withstand the storm. And it is with these truths 
that we love one another enough to call out and beg them to come home. My prayer is that you will find your way home. And then while you're home, you will rejoice, celebrate, grow. In Jesus' name, amen.